Welcome to the My Buddy Green podcast. I'm Jason Wachab, founder and co-CEO of My Buddy Green, and your host. Hey everyone, Dan Buettner is someone who likely needs no introduction. Not only is he the founder of The Blue Zones, a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books, and the star of the new Netflix documentary titled Live to 100, Secrets of the Blue Zones. But this is going to be Dan's sixth appearance on our show. Every time I talk to Dan, I learn something new about longevity. So you'll be sure to walk away from this episode with some underrated Blue Zones tips. We even touch on the hot button topic of nutrition. And this is an area where I fundamentally disagree with the Blue Zones one size fits all plant based approach. And even though we respectfully disagree on nutrition, I have nothing but love for Dan. And it's great to have him back on the show. So let's go straight to the fun stuff and talk about consuming wine daily. You know, there's definitely a move within the longevity bros or the biohackers, and that's a move to complete abstinence. And so, look, I always say, if if you don't drink, don't start. But if you enjoy alcohol, you should enjoy it. So let's start there. Well, I can tell you for sure that people in Blue Zones drink almost daily. I just saw a survey of 90-year-olds in Ikaria, one of our Blue Zones. Over 80%, about 85% of them drink every day or report drinking every day of their adult life, uh, a couple of drinks. And this same group of people made it into their 10th century, uh, physically fit, mentally sharp. Um, so. Could they maybe make it a few more years if they didn't drink? I don't know. But but uh, I can tell you, uh, dr- drinking in the blue zone does not seem to preclude a long, a vibrant life. And so you mentioned a couple drinks a day. Does that happen in the evening? I'm assuming I know that happens with friends. Does that happen at lunch? Does that happen earlier than that? I know Colleen and I, as, as I've said on the show, and I, I think you know, we'll enjoy drinking earlier rather than later because later it can affect our sleep yes it, in, so in blue zones it, it, typically it's with meals you'll you'll see it uh at lunch a small glass and at dinner a small glass and uh, with friends as well it's very common for in sardinia or Icaria for uh, especially the old men will will go downtown and they'll have a glass of wine with their friends so so the difference, first of all, they're not doing shots of tequila or, you know, much hard liquor. There's a little hard liquor, but it's mostly wine and almost always with people and it, with a, a meal. And, it, you know, the Blue Zone meal traditionally has been whole food plant-based. And we know when you're drinking a glass of wine, you're about quadrupling the, the flavonoid or the antioxidant absorption. There's actually an argument that a small glass of red wine with a plant-based meal is better than uh, a glass of water in a plant-based meal. Um, we, we know it lowers cortisol, which is that stress hormone. Um, so after a particularly tough day, uh, it, it, it may be unwinding them. It, it, you know, it may bring them together socially more. We don't know for sure. It's just, there's just so many factors it's very hard to pull out why people are able to drink in the blue zones and live a, a, such a long time. And, and, and maybe people are living a long time because they're drinking a little bit, or maybe they're living a little bit longer. We don't know. 
Well, t- to me, it comes back to, to setting. And the setting is amongst friends. It's celebrating. And in my view, joy, having fun, has a great impact in our longevity. And if wine happens to be part of joy and having fun, you know, in the blue, blue zones, people are playing games, they're dancing, they're laughing. And so let's talk about joy and having fun as something that's part of everyone's daily routine. In Ikaria, for example, they have these legendary parties called panayiris. And they're these uh, they all-night parties where people dance and they drink and they eat and they, they uh, you see eight-year-olds and 98-year-olds at these parties. I cannot imagine a panayiri without wine. I can't imagine people getting together and staying up all night. Yet. What happens at these parties is people of all ages bond. Uh, villages, disparate villages connect that might have been enemies at one at one point. They get their physical activity. This is like running a marathon, the, the type of dancing they do. And also, it's always done for some sort of a civic project that people donate the, the, the food and the wine, but then they have to buy it during the festival, at, which pools money. And that money is then given to, you know, family that's fallen on hard times or, you know, bridge that was washed out or a school or something like that. So it's very hard to pull wine out of the equation and, and have the same cluster of factors all work you know in in blue zones there's no silver bullet it's this matrix of mutually supporting or maybe it's a better metaphor to think of a web of mutually supporting factors that keep people doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things for long enough so they're not developing a chronic disease and some of those things are eating the right way some of the things are socializing living out your purpose, um, having the, the, the right group of friends around you. And alcohol or wine, I should say, not just alcohol. I don't think it's not the alcohol. It's, it's, it's the wine. And by the way, the wines in the Blue Zones are organic. They're slightly lower in alcohol. Um, they're, uh, we know that the wine in Sardinia has among the highest levels of procyanid, which is the antioxidant that reduces inflammation of the arteries, uh, the endothelial, actually. And um, so, you know, it's hard to pull, you know, one ingredient out of this or one characteristic out of this matrix and, you know, expect the the matrix not to be affected. Yes. Well, you also touched on this idea of giving back, volunteering, donating one's time. Yes. So it isn't, doesn't happen as kind of prescriptively as it might happen in America. In other words, people are like, I'm going to volunteer on Saturday. So much of daily life in, involves putting your strengths to work for the benefit of your family or your community in Blue Zones. Um, during the harvest, everybody will pitch in. Uh, these big festivals, everybody pitches in and, and uh, makes it happen. Um, the yeah, Okinawa, we spent some time with uh, some female spiritual leaders. They don't get paid for this, but they they feel like they're in charge of the spiritual health of the village, and, and they, they go to work doing that. Linda Freed from Columbia University found that people, especially older people who volunteer 
have lower BMI, lower rates of cardiovascular disease, and lower health care costs. So, you know, I kind of connected the dots between her research and this, this uh, endemic volunteering that happens in the blue zones, this, this un- mindless, unconscious um, volunteering that just comes with living in a blue zone. Well, I think you're touching on you know this, this mindless, whether it's mindless walking because they, they mindless connection, and something that's that I'm also interested in is this idea of simplicity. You know, when it when it comes to desire for material goods, and in my view, and having you on the show multiple times, and and watching the new Netflix show, and, and the books, and and everything, it seems like people in the blue zones. Are a little bit more simplistic than we are in the states. There's there's lack of a desire for lots of things. You know, I, I'll use the example. So fast fashion here in America. I, I used to think that fast fashion was for lower income people who who couldn't afford clothing. And then I was shocked to discover that the people who actually buy fast fashion are people who can buy lots of clothing. They just can't get enough of it. And my personal view here on on wardrobe in general is like. Find a couple things you like. I I, lo- I love my cotton T-shirt. I have a handful of them, and I, and I'm and I'm good. I don't want a lot of them. I don't need or want a lot of stuff. I just I noticed, Jason, you were you were wearing that same shirt when I last saw you about a month and a half ago. You are right. You are right. And, and I think and I think of America and look like I'm not against. I I, I believe in. <laughs> And people being consumers and buying things, but you know, I, I also believe in maybe being a little bit more simplistic. Or, or the key to happiness, I think, for some people, is actually wanting less. What are your thoughts? I think it's a mistake to think that people in blue zones are different than we are, and they they have the same desires, the same ambitions. They worry about their kids, they worry about their health, they worry about their finances. Um, they're equally intelligent as anybody listening right now. And if we sat and talked with them, they'd, they'd be just as sophisticated. The difference is their environment. They, they, they don't have a, a, a Zara at the end of their, or whatever that fast fashion place is, at the end of, uh, at the end of their street. Um, it hasn't arrived. I guarantee if it arrived, they'd be shopping there and if, they, if they had the money. Uh, and, and which this gets to the central premise of blue zones that if you want to live longer, whether you're uh, thinking at the individual level or at the population level, you don't want to try to change people's behavior. Because although it'll sell books and it'll sell programs and exercise schemes and so forth, it never lasts. I challenge anybody to show me data on a behavioral modification program that works for more than single-digit percentage of the people. Um, it's in blue zones. They live in an environment that um, architect their unconscious choices throughout the day, and those choices are better. They're 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 not buying lots of stuff because they're not relentlessly marketed the desire to buy things. But do you think, okay, if you say behavioral change or behavioral modification isn't going to work. What about mindset? You know, you, you say Icaria is the place where, quote unquote, people forget to die. And so to me, 
there there's a mindset there that was actually more meant to it's kind of a double entendre or poetic way of getting at that they don't consciously um live their life uh it was more of a play on words more than a mindset. It's very hard to collectively. To me, it seems that these people maybe aren't afraid of death. They don't expect it. Maybe they're, they just go ahead, live their life and they don't think about it. And, and here culturally there, you know, I think ageism is real in America. I think people get to a certain age. They start to think about these things. They unconsciously maybe use language uh, that is detrimental to their own ment- mental well-being where they start to make excuses well i'm getting old or you know well it's not like it used to be my health whereas people in the blue zones don't seem to think that way they just kind of live their life well they're not proactively uh, pursuing health that's for sure i have a complex relationship with this idea of mindset i just i don't see how you can change your mindset for the long run. The, the, the way people think in blue zones, I think it's more a product of their environment that, you know, old, they, they've needed old people to help with childcare. They've needed old people to help preserve the food tradition, to uh, grow things, to know when to plant, to know when to, to reap. Uh, and, Older people are therefore revered, and there is an ageism. There's sort of a reverse reverse ageism in, in that you're not really celebrated until you get into your 90s or 100s, and then you're really celebrated. And by the way, there's this researcher from Yale named Becca Levy that found that a positive attitude towards aging is, is related to lower mortality. And in, in other words, you live longer if you sort of embrace getting older and older people and instead of running away from it with, you know, these anti-aging schemes and nostrums and so far, so forth. So uh, I continue to, you know, be the lone voice that discourages diets and exercise programs and except for mind body green supplements uh, which everybody should buy and profusely um but but rather than trying to change your behavior look at ways you can change your surroundings your kitchen your home your social circle your work environment and, and you know jason my day job for many years as we get hired by insurance companies to reshape the surroundings of entire cities, to reshape the environment, um, setting them up with defaults and nudges so people unconsciously make better decisions, as opposed to asking them, well, remember to like old people. Don't forget, like old people, that that doesn't work very well. So uh, on that note, you know, I encourage everyone to buy the book. I'll hold it up here, New Blue Zone, Secrets for Living Longer. We'll, of course, link to it. I think the best of all your books and they can read about the cities. And so the cities specifically in the book, I'm curious, are there cities that have potential that we should be thinking about for the next blue zones? Who who would be on your wish list? Well, internationally, you know, the, the book you just held up, which I'm very pleased to report just made the New York times bestseller list yesterday. I profile Singapore as a manufactured blue zone. When I was a little kid, 
Singapore is a fishing village. And in one lifetime, it's added 20 years to their life expectancy. And they now live about a dozen more good years over Americans. Good years. Years without uh, disease or disability. They've done that because the government there has gone about creating policies that favor human health and human well-being over business interests. So, you know, if if you're manufacturing junk food, you're not getting any subsidies. There's there's no subsidies for cheap um, livestock feed or or the inputs for chips and sodas, et cetera. In fact, in Singapore, if you buy a Coke, uh, it's mandated to have 20% less sugar than the same Coke we drink over here. And they subsidize brown rice and um, tax uh, foreign sweets. Um, they'll give you a tax break for keeping your aging parent nearby. They tax the hell out of motorized transportation. If you want a car there, it's three times more expensive than it is in America. But meanwhile, that that tax revenue is spent on uh, the, the whole country is like a garden. And there are covered walkways and beautiful streets and, and bike lanes and sidewalks. And the, nobody's more than about 300 yards from a clean, fast, safe public transportation. You know, we we live in Miami. We should have that. I mean, we have the underlying, you know, kind of a insipid effort to put a, you know, one one way. One, you know, I like it, um, but it's it's not pervasive enough. Meanwhile, you know, hundreds of children die every year in Miami because of car accidents. Our kids. We suffer from asthma. We suffer from obesity because we're sitting behind a car car wheel instead of out on our feet walking. And Singapore realized this early and and made the shape the environment so it's easier to walk than it is to drive. And lo and behold, they have a healthier society. So, are there other places in America that have a structural advantage in terms of? their landscape in the way, you know, so I'll use the example in Sardinia, you know, you've got, it's very hilly. So like you've got the altitude, like the villa, everyone's living closely together. Uh, Cities that maybe have the advantage because of landscape or have the advantage of the way the city was originally, or or the town or village or what have you was originally constructed where there's a town center uh, where there's, so, so like, are there places top of mind in America uh, I'll, I'll take like the government aside, like that structurally have a lot of the makings of a blue zones because of the way the city was constructed or landscape, et cetera. Yeah. So a city that uh, was built in when the pedestrian was the primary sort form of transportation, you know, New England towns, uh, you know, New York City, for example, Brooklyn, where you guys uh, used to come from. Uh, much easier to walk there than than you know a Tampa or something or Orlando, which is you know just a sp- endless sprawl, and the only way you can get someplace is to get in your car and then get on a freeway. But but I want to quickly add to that. You know my we created seventy two blue zone project cities. And if you would have asked me at the beginning of this, the first cities that were going to come on board, I would have said it's for sure the liberal progressive cities, the Oaklands, 
or, or, you know, the San Luis Obispos. But the most, it's, the truth is the most conservative cities in America became the first blue zone project cities in you know, Fort Worth, Texas, for example. Any city in America could begin to become a blue zone if they have the courage to systematically go through the policies, the food policies, the built environment policies, uh, the well-being policies that we know favor the, the human health and and implement them. And there's probably 40 or 50 policies um, that could be implemented. One called complete street policy. You start, there's a great example, Pasadena, California. That place was a shit show in the 1970s and 80s, just a snarl of traffic. And they said, no, we want a more walkable place. And they systematically, they didn't like rip it up in one year, but whenever a, ca- a street is due to be redone, it's about once every seven years, uh, it had to be built with the human being in mind. So instead of just wide traffic lanes, there are narrower traffic lanes, which eases traffic, makes room for a bike lane, a wider sidewalk, some trees, and all of a sudden the human is invited back onto that street. And when the humans are invited, they start walking, they start interacting socially, the air is cleaner, it's safer for children, it's better for the business environment because cars and people are walking by, they get more walk-in traffic. And most cities have not figured this out yet, but the cities most poised to become blue zones are the ones who uh, who have an open-minded government or are willing to start changing slowly. And, you know, in a, in a decade or so, they could be a blue zone. So for those who don't live in a place that's exactly blue zone friendly, there's still a possibility. We ran a, an excerpt from you on My Buddy Green. We'll link to the article in the show notes where you talk about like simple tweaks that one can do. And and one of them is sitting on the floor. Yes. So in one of the biggest killer of older people is falls. It's like one of the top five killers of, of older people. And we have a lot of people die. If you fall down and break your hip at age 60, there's about a 30% chance you're dead in a year. Yes. And I'm going to clarify that because people get angry when we repeat this stat. It's not necessarily from the fall. So there's a 25% chance you'll fall if you're over the age of 65. If you fall once, you're twice as likely to fall again. If you fall and break your hip, you're right. 30 to 40% chance you die within a year. But I will point out, it's not necessarily because of the fall. It's It could be the fall, but it could be complications from surgery. It could be an infection. It could be the ensuing immobility and depression and so on. But I just want to, because people get up in arms when they think it's... Yeah, the- right. It's not just the blood. It could be a blood clot, too, from a dislodged marrow. Anecdotally, I've seen this, too. I've seen this, unfortunately, with friends of ours. It's terrible. Yeah. So why do we fall when we get older? Well, it's because uh, our lower body strength, our balance. When you're sitting on the floor, you're getting up and down off the floor um, 30 times a day. And that necessarily develops your balance, necessarily develops your lower body strength. And lo and behold, in Okinawa, for example, far fewer falls. Um, in, um, in the Nicoya Peninsula of Costa Rica, they're sitting on furniture, but they're in their gardens, almost all blue zones. When they're in their gardens, they're on their knees, range in motion, they're bending over. Same sort of muscles that we never use when we're sitting in our offices or you know, watching TV or so, um, 
Yeah, and these are the counterintuitive things that add up to a much bigger uh, piece of the longevity pie than we think. Always take the stairs, another one. If you can, take the stairs. Yeah, so, you know, in our Blue Zone cities, we work with workplaces. So how do you get people to take the stairs? Well, it turns out that if you paint stairwells brightly, light them well, and put art on the landing, that you can increase stair use by about 25%. And if you want to up that even further, you put uh, anxious music in the elevators and you slow them down so that people realize, oh, I can walk the stairs quicker. And so once again, this is an environmental thing. You know, you can hound people all day long to take the stairs. And, you know, we've we've all heard take the stairs before, but, you know, nobody takes the stairs because buildings – you almost can't find the stairwell. I'll provide a little anecdote there. I, w- I was blessed to have a grandmother who lived to, I want to say, 91, and her sister, two sisters, and her sister lived to, I think, 94 or 95, my, my great aunt. My grandmother was going blind. She had uh, macular degeneration, but we lived in a two-story two house with a basement. She was always up and down the stairs all the time. The, her sister lived the same age, lived in a ranch house. By the time they were in their 90s, the sister lived in the ranch house, couldn't really, was really didn't, couldn't walk well. My grandmother, who couldn't see, was like going up and like was, was highly mobile until she, you know, unfortunately had cancer and passed away. But I think of the two sisters, ranch versus the three flights of stairs every day, up and down, up and down, one highly mobile, strong, the other really not mobile. I love that anecdote, and that illustrates it perfectly, because most of longevity, most of physical agility, most of ongoing health is a result of unconscious behavior, not conscious behavior. If you look at you know gym memberships, which always spike around January 1st, New Year's resolution time, you lose about 60% of people who you know, start going to the gym in January. They're no longer going to the gym in September. Well, January 13th. January 13th is National Quitters Day at the gym. National Quitters Day. But and, you know, when people sign up at the gym, they still go a little bit, but it fails. After about two-year period, 10% of people are still going to the gym. Think about that. But if you live in a house with stairs... We're, you got to climb the stairs to go up to bed, bed every morning and back down. Um, that's unconscious. You're going to do that. And th- that's where we need to get as a nation. That's where we need to get as individuals. It's engineering in physical activity into our life, a walkable neighborhood. Um, you know, I live in a house here. I have three floors, and, and my bedroom's on the third floor. And my TV's on the third floor. So if I want a little snack while I'm watching my Netflix program, I got, I got to run down 32 stairs, get my little bean snack, and run back up 32 stairs. I just got a mini workout there. That kind of thing. Garden, having a garden work because you're out there all the time, weeding or, or, or um, having a friend, a walking buddy who, if I'm not showing up, when it's time to walk or bike or pickleball, they're hounding me. Uh, it's that kind of unconscious stuff that works. So you mentioned pickleball. How great is pickleball for longevity? The bomb, the bomb. You know, it's it. 
So there, okay, I, I take a little liberty with this. I'm just going to admit it, but but a study was done on different sports and how long the adherence to those sports, uh, uh, how long they live. And it's, you know, they looked at cyclists, they looked at golfers, they looked at runners, and they looked at uh, racket sports. And the racket spark gang lives the longest. And uh, pickleball is a racket sport. Well, I guess technically a paddle sport, but it's so constantly um, social. You know, anybody who goes up to the Miami uh, Golf Club pickleball courts right there in Alton, where you and me go um, once in a while, uh, well, I go there all the time, you can't help but make friends. And um, it's a it's a whole big community. You know, we have a loneliness epidemic in america uh if you're lonely it shaves eight years off your life expectancy if you're playing pickleball you're never lonely plus you're getting a range of of uh, uh, uh low to medium intensity physical activity and you're, you get your heart beat uh your heart rate going and and uh breathing hard and and you, hour later you don't realize it, but you just had a really good workout so uh, other than pickleball is there anything you've added to your daily routine recently well you know i've I've been cycling my whole adult life and cycling is number two in life expectancy so i do that um i added stand-up paddle surfing about five years ago Um, i do that quite a bit um i just got an e-foil which isn't quite as athletic but uh i love it what's that it's imagine a surfboard and a tesla mating and having a kid uh it's a it's an electric uh, well it's a it looks like a stand it looks like a surfboard but you hit a button and it propels you and uh after a certain point you go up on this efoil so you the board's about four feet out of the water did you do that with uh with our friend mark sisson in south beach well, i would i would yeah mark's an amazing guy you know, he's this, one of these paleo primal guys, and we love each other and agree on everything except meat. And, you know, he eats a steak a day, and I eat a bowl of beans a day, and we're best friends, you know. It's, you, you have a lot. He's very blue zone. He, he's he's very – he integrates movement in everything he does. He loves walking everywhere. He doesn't like tr- tracker. Like, you, you have a lot in common, I think. You both like wine. I, I think, you know, when we first met each other, we were prepared to hate each other. But, you know, we've become friends. And he's had me up to dinner parties and, and uh, yeah, in, in, a, in a reluctant yet, friendly, yeah, we, yeah, it, it's almost like a Democrat and a Republican being best friends, you know. It's like, but you know, but for one little thing, you know, it's a, it just really doesn't matter. Um, but, but we have fun with it. So also... You know, there, there's this, I'll say, character, Don Ramiro from Costa Rica. And you've mentioned he stands out among the 300-plus centenarians you've interviewed. What What is it about Don that's so special? He looks a generation younger than he is. We didn't believe his age. And I've seen a lot of centenarians. But in Costa Rica, when you're born, you're given a identification number, which is sequential. So the person born a minute before you has, uh, you know, his ID number is one digit less than the person born a minute after you is 
is uh, his his identification number is one digit more. So you can't lie about your age. So we can. This guy's a hundred, and he's agile. You know, he's got this swagger when he walks. He 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 uh, he rides uh, horses. He he corrals cows. He's up at five in the morning. He's he's perfect teeth. He's sharp as a tack. He he likes girls. You know, he he on his way to work, he he rides his horse past this house where there's a pretty girl he likes. You know, and sort of waves at her. He he reminds me a little bit of you, Dan. <laughs> well, yeah, except I don't. Except I do it on a bike. <laughs> I don't have a horse, but yeah, he's an amazing guy. You know, and it's when you get around people with three digits in their in their age, there's something special. Uh, there's, I, it, there's something magic about it. I can't quite put my finger on it, but he's over a hundred, and yet you look at him and say, "God, I wish I felt like that right now." And it gives you this aspiration or inspiration to to do what he did. So obviously, you very recently visited all the blue zones for the netflix series which is amazing and everyone should watch i'm curious of all the blue zones is there one that is just your favorite to go back to you know if i'm going on vacation i like going to the blue zone in in nicoya costa rica because it's a direct flight i can you know leave my house in the morning and be eating lunch in the blue zone the same day there's a place called Nosara, which is a bit of a corruption of blue zones, but it's yoga and surfing, and you're really close to the real blue zone. And uh, But my favorite is Ikaria, Greece. I go to a place called Fea's Guest House in Nas, and it's probably the purest of blue zones. And I have a group of friends there that are almost like family, and uh, in fact, be there in October. And um, I try to go there every year or so. and. Um, I, I just get grounded there. You started off by mentioning Costa Rica. So many people in our world have a love affair with Costa Rica. A lot of environmentalists, they, they seem to just, people love Costa Rica. It's, you know, I think it's a happy coincidence, really. The, the blue zone phenomena is actually up in the hills in the Nicoya Peninsula and these little villages that tourists tend to drive right on through. They look just like sort of dusty towns. Um, but the magic happens in, in those towns and especially in people's homes. But, you know, it, it has sort of a perfect climate. We know blue zones tend to be places where you can grow things all year long um, and you can be outdoors all year long. Uh, our circadian ry- rhythms work much better when we're outside. We sleep better. We tend to get more physical activity. We tend to eat healthier food if we have access to freshly grown food. And that's certainly the case with, we know people are happier if they live near the sea. And uh, Nicoya Peninsula is right along a beautiful surfable sea, the Pacific. So yeah, it's a, it's an insafe, great tropical fruit. And uh, I argue that the healthiest diet the human species has ever invented was invented by the Mesoamericans. Uh, the three sisters diet consisting of corn, usually consumed in, as tortillas, black beans, and squash or pumpkin. And those three foods come together and they take care of almost all your food needs. You almost don't need to eat anything else. 
well, the best corn you and I shared it. You and I, Stephanie and Colleen, enjoyed it. Los Felix here in Coconut Grove. You remember those tortillas? That, I mean that, that that. What was the chef's name again? He was amazing. Sebastian's the chef, and then Pili and Josh are the uh, the owners. Who you met everyone, but they're lovely people. You see, and it's places like that that can save America's health because they know how to make these simple, healthy foods taste delicious. We're never going to get there by shaming or or uh, telling people they need to buck up or have the individual responsibility to eat healthy when. So we don't put our ingenuity into beans or squash or, you know, broccoli. We, 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 we put it into, you know, pork belly or bone marrow. And, you know, of course, it's the most salient and most delicious foods are the meaty, cheesy, eggy processed stuff. That's what we're going to eat. And it's people like Sebastian that's taking these, you know, corn tortillas and make them sing. Uh, those are, that, that's where we need to get. And if you do eat meat, their grass-fed burger is insanely good. Uh, but I agree. There's so much good. I think there actually is a lot of good happening in the culinary space. People people are focusing on this, but we've still got a, a ways to go. Jason, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call you out on this whole grass-fed burger thing because it kind of bugs me. Okay. Because it, it, it sort of gives people, okay, is grass-fed better than non-grass-fed? Yes. But – Less than 5% of all beef is grass-fed. So you almost can't find grass-fed. So people sort of think, well, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, next time I eat, I'll go out, I'll eat grass-fed. And then they get to the restaurant, and there's really no grass-fed. And then you say, well, well, the answer is just making all, be all beef grass-fed. There's not enough pasture land in America to meet the beef demand. So... You know, I'm generally of the opinion that if you're eating meat more than five times a month, it's 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 bad for your health. Is room for a little bit of meat in your diet, probably. But in blue zones, they're either not eating meat or they're eating it fewer than five times a month. And I think whether whether it's health, which is mostly blue zone, or the environment, or animal cruelty, it's there's just there's just not a good argument for continuing to promote meat in any any way. There's so many great alternatives. Look, I agree people should eat vegetables and fruits, but I will push back because I do think this is where bioindividuality comes in. Our our friend Mark Sisson, you know, who thrives on it. Other people don't. I think it's it's personal. Uh and I do think Look, if grass-fed is an option and you enjoy a grass-fed burger or steak, have at it. Probably shouldn't have it every single day. But there's some people who can, there's some people who can't. Like, do your basic blood work if you can and get an understanding. But here's, here's the reality, Jason. Americans eat, on average, 240 pounds of meat every year. That is just too much dead animal. And sort of tacitly promoting it by grass-fed we know for sure that the amount of meat the average American is eating is about tripling their chances of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and, and different types of cancer. So while I acknowledge that people in blue zones eat about a, a tenth as much meat as Americans do, I intentionally promote eating whole food plant-based because we know that's the 
over 90% of the diet of longevity. And I just think it's a more responsible thing to promote. I'll push back a little bit, then we can agree to disagree. I, I, I do think this is where you know, with this is where nutrition science has a long way to go with meat consumption. You know, are you eating conventional bologna or you or conventional highly processed meat or are you eating something that's that's higher quality? And then with regards to diet, what else are you consuming? Are you consuming it with, you know, a pound of French fries or a big soda? And I, this is where I think nutrition science is highly flawed and we have a long way to go here because you don't know what everyone else is you know the is it causation or correlation and that's my but we can agree to disagree we'll leave it at that no i, I think we'll agree to agree i mean i just assume that because i i agree with the last thing you said actually i i, I hugely agree with it because yeah you're eating a, if you're ordering a burger you're probably ordering a soda and fries so you're right. right. Oils, everything else, you know. So, um, so in closing, you have you obviously have the book, New York Times bestseller. Again, congratulations! You have the Netflix series doing extraordinarily well. Congratulations! What's next for Dan? I'm very interested in healthy life expectancy. So, Blue Zones really was a mortality metric. So where are people living the longest? And and an artifact of that is often a healthy life, but not always a healthy life. But now there's a new, better way that's come online of measuring life expectancy called health-adjusted life expectancy. And uh, so that's how long people live without disability, like living in full health. So I'm interested in what that means and where in the world people are enjoying the highest levels of of healthy life expectancy or life in full health and um so i leave on monday for the next uh for the next uh adventure the next uh, the next book and so where are you going where tell us where i can't it's a secret yeah. you can't oh, come on dan <laughs> okay lean in i'll tell you okay <laughs> I, i'm going to i'll tell you the first stops asia Oh wow! You stick to a big, a pretty big continent, huh? Yes. Where in the world is Dan Buettner? You can geo track me, and you'll find out. Well, always a pleasure. Great to see you. And when are you coming back to Miami? I'll be there in November, and uh, we love Miami, Miami Beach, and Coconut Grove, the Blue Zones in Miami, in my opinion. And we hope Francis Suarez listens to us and and uh, adopts some Blue Zone. Um, built environment concepts and reduces the traffic there. Should be a walkable community and it's a snarl. Well, hopefully he's listening. Dan, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. We love you. Say hi to Colleen and, you know, remember, mind, body, green is the way to go. (laughs) 